Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I want to welcome all of you who are with us here in person, online, and those of you joining us outside. Hello, kids who are outside. Let me actually talk with you for just a moment. Now, welcome, kids. Did you guys know? Welcome. It's great to see you all. Welcome. Did you guys know that in a, a long time ago, I used to be really good at naming things. I would name companies and ministries and meetings and didn't name any kids. Christy did all of that. But hi, hi, buddy. Um, but I used to be really good at naming things, but I have run out of names. So I, I don't know what to call all you people, right? I, I was like, oh, we'll just call them the outsiders. <laughs> I'll call you Isaac. And then, anyway, um, someone suggested the Fresh Air Club. What do you think? Fresh Air Club? All right. Well, I just want to say it's great to be with you all. Thank you so much for coming, kids. If this is your first Doodle Sunday, let me just give you the rules, okay? Uh, the rules are is that we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're participating. But we want you to focus on listening drawing some things that we're going to tell you. And you're going to need your parents' help for a couple of these things. All right? And not talking or getting up and moving, right? If you need to talk, you can whisper a question to your parent, but this is not a time to get up and, and move. Um, so those are the rules. If you do a good job, we do have a prize for you. Any questions? All right. Good job, Fresh Air Club. All right. And good job in here as well. What, I don't know what to call you. All right. The stale air club, I don't know. Okay. Well, let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 24. And I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 1. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. 
And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Friends, these are the, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O God of our fathers, we come to you uh, in this time and we sit under these words. And I recognize that as we come here, Lord, we do come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come here and our lives are filled with blessings. We relate to these words uh, that we are filled with blessings that represent your gracious provision and we're thankful. Others of us here are here uh, and we come uh, not filled, it seems, with blessing, but we come here uh, with all kinds of things uh, that are a mess in our lives. We come here with needs, with sicknesses, with burdens, with anxieties, And Lord, uh, I recognize further that some of us come here uh, and we're filled with faith and hope and trust in you and we we long to know you better. 
Others of us come here and we're not sure why we're here. We're not sure if you're real and if you are, whether you're good. We're not sure if, if these words will have any impact on the things in our lives that matter most to us. So Lord, I pray whatever place we find ourselves in, uh, whether we are here uh, filled with joy or, or burdened with worry, whether we are here believing in you or, or experiencing profound doubts about you, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. We've all come in uh, on these doors, sat outside, joined us online, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Show us in these words how you have accomplished uh, this, the work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you all. Great to be with uh, you online. I want to begin by asking you a question. Uh, I want to ask you, if you were talking uh, to someone who didn't know at all what it meant to be a Christian, I hope that you do that, by the way, regularly. If you ever talk to someone who doesn't know what it means to be a Christian, and they said, look, just, just sum up the Christian life in one word. Just like, I don't have time for long explanations. So just, is there, is there one word that you could give that would summarize the Christian life what word would you choose? And I know it's a hard, this is kind of an unfair question. What's one word you would choose? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What's another? Faith. What's another? Jesus? Jesus. Okay, good. What's another? Mercy. I heard mercy. Grace. Very good. Any, any others? From the back of the room. Yes, young lady. Love. Very good. Very good. Wow, you must, have, you must have a good mommy and daddy. All right. Well, yeah, so all of those are great answers. As your pastor, I want you to know I approve this message, okay? Especially that one. I approve, I approve all your answers. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, someone who, who really has a lot more credentials than me, right, he, he actually would answer it differently. And uh, I don't think this, uh, this is not meant to... Uh, disagree with what you've said, but I think it'll add another kind of layer to it. And that, of course, is the reformer Martin Luther, right? So Martin Luther changed the world when he, serving as uh, a monk in the Catholic tradition, decided to nail 95 theses against the, the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And this is what he said in uh, the first of these. He said, um, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Right? That's a different word, isn't it? Right? He said the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. And of course, in the context with which he wrote those words and proceeded to, to upend the world by nailing them to this door, what of course he was doing was directly contradicting the message of the time and that repentance was somehow separated from the ongoing life of the Christian, right? Of course, he's, he's contradicting uh, this notion that repentance is something uh, that you do occasionally, uh, of course, with the help of the church by way of indulgences and by way of the other um, things offered to you in the seven sacraments. And he says, no, the ongoing life of a Christian that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ has willed that life to be 
one of repentance. And friends, as we come to this time, uh, you'll notice that we're here in the last chapter of Joshua. So we're going to be starting our, our next sermon series actually going to be introing it next week, and then we're going to really begin it uh, in two weeks from now. I'm obviously just giving you an overview of this book, right? Highlighted some, some of the uh, key parts that are going on. And what's going on now is that Israel has largely taken the land, right? Not, not entirely, but largely they've taken the land. Joshua is going to go the way of all the earth, as he says. And these are his concluding remarks, and in his concluding remarks, what he, of course, is saying is that there has come a time for you who have been largely successful, right? There's come a time for you to continue this work of ongoing repentance, right? And it's, uh, of course, it's highlighted by this language that he will repeat here. He will say, look, you've seen God work. You've come into the land. You've, you've done what he's asked of you to do. Right? You've seen the battles conquered, not without error, but you've seen them conquered. And then what does he see ne say next, which is absolutely stunning to me? He said, now it's time to put away the foreign gods that you've been holding on to. Right? The, this, this whole chapter, to understand the dynamic of this chapter, to understand what's going on in the uh, Pinterest plaque that some of you have, right? Choose this day who you will serve. Any, anyone on Etsy? All right, come on, don't be, don't be ashamed of anyone. Anyone go on Pinterest and, and grab one of these cute plaques, right? Choose this day who you will serve. Okay, no. Um, well, if you have that plaque and you wonder, like, what's the backstory there? What's going on? What's going on is that Joshua is arguing with these people. He's pleading with them to put away the other gods that they have been serving for a long time. And the dialogue that he has with them, as we'll see, uh, is one where they are, they are not quite persuaded to do this. So what I want to look at today is I want to look at what might it look like for us in our day, in our context, with the things that we face, what might it look like for us to undergo a process similar to what's going on in this passage? The uh, theologians describe this passage as uh, in the language of covenant renewal. Right, so God's made a covenant with his people. Uh, they've seen him work, and then he renews it. So, kids, uh, if you're following along with us, what I want you to do is draw uh, someone nailing a paper to the door, and you can get your parents' help for this, and you can write the words, ongoing repentance. All right, so I want to look at, uh, the first thing I want to look at is Joshua's setting this up for the people. He sets up what's going on by reminding them of their history and God's provision, right? Understanding their history and understanding God's provision. So the first thing that he does is he tells them, look, let's talk about your past. Why are you here? Where did you come from? Right? And he highlights in their past, in specific, he says, look, you're here because many generations ago, God called Abraham, right? He called your, your father Abraham out of where he was living, Right? He called him to follow him. And it's interesting because the passage, if you look in verse 2, highlights the fact that when God called Abraham, uh, and of course his fathers Terah and Nahor, right, that they were, at that time that God called them, they were what? Serving other gods. Right? 
So, and this is just a very basic principle that, that we need to get used to as Christians, right? When God calls a person, right, if you're here as a Christian, that's because God looked into your life, he reached into your life, and he said, look, I want you to belong to me, I want you to follow me, I want you to be mine. And when he did that, at the time he did that, you were, by definition, serving other things, right? Just by definition, you weren't, you weren't just sitting out there in the ether neutral saying, yeah, I don't serve anything, I just sort of exist. No. When God calls a person, he, he calls them while they are actively serving other things that will contradict him. Right? In the, in the olden days, that would mean that you would, you know, find an idol that you think would bring you a good harvest and you would buy that idol and you would bow down to it and worship it. Today, it means that you have an awesome portfolio, for example, right? That you check every day and you are really keen to see, you know, is this portfolio robust enough? Will it be there for me when I need it? Will it save me, right? You know, I'm going to architect my life around protecting it and making sure that I will have the freedom to live the life that I want to have, to have the possessions that I want to have, right? To give my kids the education that I want them to have, right? That's just one example, right? And when God comes into a person's life, he says, look, I want you to have good things. I want you to, to be well cared for. I want you to be provided, but I don't want you to trust in anything other than me. Right? He always, by definition, enters a person's life while that person is engaged in serving and trusting in and finding comfort in other things. Always, by definition, every single time, right? Even for kids, okay? So what the author is highlighting here is that God, when he comes into a person's life, he calls them precisely when they are serving other gods. That's by definition in every case. But not only does he call Abraham, right? He says, look, he called him while he was serving other gods. But then it goes on to say, and then he led them, right? He led Abraham to follow him, to trust him, to go to a different place, right? This place of Canaan. He said, I'm going to take you out of the land you live in, and I'm going to take you somewhere better, right? So he says, God called Abraham, and then he led Abraham. I'm going to go talk to the Fresh Air Club for a second. Hey, Fresh Air Club. Okay. Hey, guys. You, can you guys hear me okay? All right. Great. So not only does God call Abraham, but then he leads him. But when that's the third thing that he does, right? He calls him. He leads him. He provides for them, right? So he says, Abraham, I'm going to bring you to somewhere better. That's, that's the basic premise by the way, of being a Christian, right, is that God comes into our lives, he confronts the things that we are trusting in, right, and says, I want you to stop trusting in those things and trust in me instead. Don't trust in your abilities, don't trust in your resources, don't trust in your family, right, don't trust in your church, don't trust in the country you live in, right? Those can all be good and well and fine, but I instead want you to say, my life is dependent upon God's will, upon his provision. And then he says, and now I'm going to lead you to a better place. So if you're a Christian, right, kids, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you will one day go to a better place, 
right? A place with better things, a place with no more cancer and no more hardship and no more unemployment and no more war and no more dying and no more death and no more tinnitus. You don't even know what that is, but trust me, not good, okay? He says, I'm taking you to a better place. And that place is going to be characterized by blessing that you have not worked for. That's the whole point at the end of that paragraph. He says, I brought you into vineyards and lands that you did not work for. I, I gave you success and battle that was not resultant from your, you know, swordsmanship. But I gave you these things by my sheer pleasure and grace. Okay? That's where we are. So he says, that's your history. That's who you are. Right? Now, kids, you have a drawing under that, so I want you to do, I don't have the page in front of me, but go ahead and draw uh, the Red Sea being parted. By the way, don't draw God. It says to draw God parting the Red Sea. A little bit of a grammatical error. Draw the Red Sea. We don't draw God because he's unseen. I want to get court-martialed, whatever it's called in the church. Um, it's like being, it's basically the same thing. Um, draw the Red Sea being parted, okay? Great. Great job, Fresh Air Club. All right, back to you all. Uh, so God calls Abraham. He leads him. He blesses him. He provides for him. Uh, and, and by extension here, Israel, in the same way as they come in, and they've seen God do all kinds of great things. And then, that's the first thing, is understanding their history. The second thing is that they are confronted with a choice. Okay? They are confronted with a choice. And this is really, I think, the crux of the passage that's before us. Joshua is saying, look, you've seen God do these things. You've, you've experienced his power. You are recipients of his provision, right? You know your history. You've been called while you were serving other gods. Now it comes to a time when you have a choice to make, right? Are you going to serve God wholeheartedly, exclusively, or are you going to be syncretistic, and I wonder, does any kid in here know this word, syncretistic? Okay. Does any kid know this? Parents, have you, been, have you guys been educating this kid here? Right? Do we need to put you on Zoom for a while? Do you need to go on Zoom for eight hours and learn the word syncretistic? Who, who, who here, how many kids here have parents who are syncretistic? Who has, any, anyone outside? Yes, I see that hand. Who has a parent that's syncretistic? Oh, it's Eva. <laughs> okay, that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, you were, okay. Yeah, so what does it mean to be syncretistic? Does any adults know? Any adults? Right? Go ahead, Paul. God plus. Yes, God plus. So someone who's syncretistic tries to take pieces from multiple religions and to combine them together, okay? That's what a syncretist is. Well, you know, I, I, have, I have innovated on Christianity, right? I took the best parts of Christian faith, but there's some really cool stuff in Buddhism that I've now incorporated as well. And, um, you know, Islam, eh, not so much, but... Um, you know, I've found, I've new age, yeah, there's some interesting things there. I've, I've come all these things together, and I've ended up with something better to, to offer you, right? If I were to say that, that would be because I'm a syncretist, right? And uh, I think what's happening here in our passage 
might surprise you in that what Joshua is saying here is, look, he's saying, all y'all, all y'all are syncretists. That's what he's saying. Right? Do you see that? He's saying, look, put away, stop worshiping these gods. The entire time of Joshua, throughout the entire conquest, throughout seeing God's hands at work, the entire time they have been holding on to their collection of gods. Right? I just I want the full weight of that to descend on you. And what's going on in this dialogue that's surrounding the Pinterest verse that some of you probably have, right? Choose this day who you will serve. The whole dialogue is them saying to Joshua, he's saying, look, put away your gods and serve God wholeheartedly. Either serve them wholeheartedly or serve God wholeheartedly. And what are they saying? They're saying, eh, it'll be fine. Yeah, we're going to serve God. And he's saying, but put away, if you notice, not one time do they say, we will put away our gods. Not one time. They're at the entirety of the exchange. It's why he raises, I believe, uh, the stones to witness against them. Because he keeps saying, look, you got you to either put away your gods or put away this God. Right? You, you can't do both. God will not allow you to be a syncretist. And their repeated word to him is, eh, it's fine. Eh, it's fine. We can do that. We can do these things. And friends, I want to tell you that as a pastor, uh, now for, for coming up on nine years, as a Christian for, I forgot how many years, right? Going on probably 30 years. I want to tell you that as I was reflecting on this passage for my own life, as I was reflecting on it uh, for, for, for your life and thinking, you know, of different folks, I'll tell you that you're more syncretistic than you appreciate, Right? And that's because all of us, as we, as we wait for the kingdom to come, as we wait for Christ to return, we find in our own homes, in our own lives, on our own computers, and, and certainly in our own minds, we find the presence of other gods that are vying for our attention and that we give into, right? That, that's just where we are. We are find ourselves serving other gods, other things uh, that are vying for our attention. I, um, you know, I sought expert counsel this morning uh, from Deacon Ryan Estes. And I just want to give a shout out to Deacon Ryan Estes. If you ever need expert counsel, um, as, I, as I was in need of, you know, he is, he is very affordable. Okay. And I asked him, I said, Ryan, I, I have a friend who's a pastor who you know, is going to be quoting from uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. And would it be inappropriate to play his song during the break at this pastor's church? I'm just asking for a friend. And he said, yeah, I, I definitely think it would be inappropriate. So I said, okay. And then I quickly, you know, made my way over to Spotify and deleted that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, actually, I did really think about it because... Uh, I do think that actually the, the artistic cult voices in our culture, they get this in ways that Christians often ignore, right? So let me read to you uh, his words. This is uh, about the God of money. He says, God, money, I'll do anything for you. God, money, just tell me what you want to. God, money, nail me up against the wall. God, money doesn't want everything. He wants it all. 
right? And then he goes on to say, bow down before the one you serve, right? And this, again, is a, is a voice outside of the church, and he's recognizing, you know, that in, he was pretty successful. He's recognizing that money, for example, which is one of the more common th- things that are become a controlling influence, right? It doesn't simply want part of you. It wants all of you. It wants control, you know, um, in, in, the, in the land of, of investments and stocks, we talk about someone buying a controlling interest in a company. Does it, you guys know what that means, kids? Any of you kids have a controlling interest in a company? We are offering a controlling interest in this church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so a controlling interest is when you invest enough money in a company that you are able to basically sway the decisions of the board right, of the shareholders. You're, you, you represent a majority, so basically anything, any motion that you want passed can happen because you have a controlling interest. You are able to pull the strings, right? You are able to uh, figure out what, where things are going to go, and you say, look, this is what we're doing. Everyone else can vote against you, and it doesn't matter because you have what's called a controlling interest. And in the same way, in each and every one of you, there is, a, there is a something or someone has a controlling interest in you, right? Did you know that? There is a controlling interest. And uh, the thing that has a controlling interest in your life, right, is the thing that ultimately you serve, right? It's what you ultimately serve. And the way that you know what that is, is that uh, as you walk with God, as you consider the scriptures, as you think through who he is and what he says, and then you come against uh, a choice to make, am I going to follow God, right? am I going to trust him, or am I going to go in a different direction? When you go in a different direction, right, you're demonstrating that this other thing has a controlling interest in your life, right? That's, it's, it's easy to figure out, right? Uh, what takes priority over everything, every single time, right? What are you coveting? Right? What, do you, what do you daydream about? What, what would you do anything to, to get, to have, right? That's typically uh, something that has a controlling interest in your life. Another thing I thought of is what do you really, really, really want, but you find you never pray for? Right? Sometimes we pray for our idols. It does happen. But most of the time, an idol is something in your life that you really, really, really want. You're, you would sin or you have sinned or you are planning to sin in order to get it. Right? And another way you know is that it's something you really want but you never pray for. Right? Perhaps because you know uh, that there, there's something going on there. So what Joshua is doing is he's confronting the people with this reality. He's saying, if you're going to serve God... You have to put away your gods. Right, and friends, I just want to tell you just pastorally this morning and kids as well, um, I want to just invite you to consider for a second the question, what, what gods have been sticking around in my life? I just want to invite you to think that through. What, what have I been, you know, what's been occupying a controlling interest in me? Right, is it money? Is it an experience? Is it a person? Um, what occupies your daydreaming? What, what thing are you coveting for? Um, what, what thing is, is, is causing you to go in a different direction from what God says is, is right? Is it sexual sin, for example? 
a very real common one. What is it in your life? Identify it. And then secondly, in the words of this passage, put it away. This would be a great day to put it away. This would be a great day for you to take some significant step towards saying, I don't want this thing to have a controlling interest in my life. I want the shares to go somewhere else. I want God to hold more shares in my life. I want to just put this thing away. That's the, you know, I know it's not as sophisticated as you might like, but that is the simple invitation of the passage. And I want to tell you, these people over and over and over again said to this invitation, no, it's fine. We'll be fine serving God and other things. And Joshua, of course, pleads with them. So kids, what I want you to do is draw a heart that's divided, right? That's a heart with a crack down the middle. And then on one side, write the word idols. On the other side, write the word God. So I want to conclude here uh, with a question that you might have. It's something uh, that I had as well. And uh, it, it goes to this, this statement here that Joshua makes. He says, you know, you have to put away your idols. And this probably caused a question in your mind. He says, because God will not forgive your sins. Did anyone notice that come up in the passage? He says, you've got to put away your idols because he's a jealous God and he will not forgive your sins. Okay, I have this... Uh, have this written down here. Um, one, one moment, I just just lost it here. Um, so he invites them to do that, but he says on here, he's like, you have to do that because God will not forgive your sins. What's going on with that? That's verse 19, by the way. You are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. What are we supposed to do with that today? How does that even work? Because pretty sure that we all confessed this morning that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. So how in the world does that square with verse 19? How does that square with these folks back in this passage? How does it square with us today? And friends, um, of course, uh, if you've been hanging around Ironworks for a while, you know, and if you haven't, if you're new, I just want to tell you that what all Scripture is doing from the beginning to the end, what all Scripture is doing is it is constantly pointing at the need for the work of Jesus Christ, right? From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of Revelation, it's always pointing towards the need for the work of Jesus Christ. And let me read to you from Romans chapter 3. Uh, this is Paul writing. He says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then this says this, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Right? You see what, what, what Paul is saying here is that, you know, how do we square Joshua 24, 19? He will not forgive your sins. Right? You don't put your gods away. And I, and I earlier today said, you all, ha all y'all have things that you're serving. I do as well. I'm in a position of ongoing need for repentance, as are you. What does that mean for us? How do we square that with verse 19? And what the gospel tells us is that God did visit the sins 
of Israel and Darren's sins and your sins. He has visited them. But in the gospel, it's not upon you, but it's upon Christ. Right? That's sin. And, and by the way, this is the Christian, this is like the genius of Christian faith is to say, you are holding on to sins. You are holding on to gods. They are just like those people in Israel. They're in your house. They're being provided for. You're paying the monthly bill. You're making sure that you have access. You're making sure that you're taking steps to get what the thing you're coveting, right? The thing that's the, has the controlling influence in your life. You're taking all those steps. And yet, every week, we say, if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Right? How's that work? Answer, God is jealous for you, but his jealousy was visited upon Christ. Every sin, every idol, every act of unfaithfulness, every act of unbelief, he says, I've visited, I've put that on Christ. And so today, the invitation for you to let go of your gods, the invitation for you to take steps in new and deep and fresh and big repentance is not because if you don't, right, God is going to smash you. It's saying, no, he, he smashed Christ so that you can freely follow him, so that you can follow him in gratitude because of what he's done. So I hope that you consider that today. Kids, there is one last drawing. I uh, would like you to draw a cross and a heart that is whole, not divided, and then write God in the middle of the heart. May God so give us a whole heart. Let's pray.